It's all fun until somebody says, get in the wheelbarrow, right? Good morning, One Community Church. Good morning. Listen, I love that, that video. It is such a great metaphor for what it's like for us to walk by faith. Oftentimes, we would rather watch somebody else take the risk than actually participate in it. But, you know, God has called us to an active faith, not one where we're spectators, but one where we are participators fully in what it means to live this life. And so today we're going to be talking about what it means to walk in faith, what it means to make good decisions. But uh, I want to talk about the dangers of a safe decision, because I think very often we wrestle with this, uh, wondering when we take a risk for God's sake, when we do it for our own, because y'all, we're in a culture that definitely needs some risk takers. Uh, Some risk takers who are doing it in the name of the Lord, not just because you have a word to say or because you have a bold personality, but because you're saying yes to what God has called us to. You know, I talked to a friend of mine who uh, was burying an aunt because uh, her aunt passed recently and her aunt left some letters for the family. And as they were reading through it, she was giving them all of these instructions, things that she wanted them to do with their lives uh, over the next few years, because they were all the regrets of things that she never did. And so she was asking them to, to do things with their family, reconcile some relationships, do some things that would bring some healing to some longstanding family pain. And I found it very interesting that we often go to the grave. If we're going to have regrets, it won't be because we took risk. It'll be because we played it safe. When we go to the grave, when we're on our sick beds, if God gives you time to reflect before he calls you home, the things you'll be thinking about won't be the risk you took. It'll be the things that you chose to play safe. And so what I want to remind us of this morning is that God has called us all to be risk takers because that's what it means to live by faith, y'all. And and safe may look different for you. Uh, Safe uh, might feel like uh, taking control or if you're the person that, that needs to know that you're overseeing every single thing that's happening, you might be leaning into your own safety. If you're the person that needs all the details and you need God to make the plan very, very clear and each step of the way, requalify and reclarify the plan, you might be playing it safe. But there's going to be things that God asks us to take risk on. And even risk will look different. Will look different. For some people, risk is going to mean speaking out when everybody else is being quiet. For some people, risk is going to be going when everybody else is staying. But it might be staying when everybody else is going. So it's not just about uh, what it looks like for everybody else. It's what is the Lord leading you to do? I think there's some conflicts that we are cowering away from. And some actions that we're refusing to take all because we're choosing to play it safe. And God has never done anything through people who played it safe. The word of God is about risk takers. And he would rather you risk and fail than to play it safe and not be fruitful. To play it safe and not represent him well. So today we're going to be in a very familiar passage of scripture for many of you. We're going to be in the book of Numbers. We're going to kind of walk our way through chapter 13 and 14, and uh, our AV team is going to do their best to keep up because when they ask me, what's your verse, what's your verse for your message, this is the challenge of teaching the Old Testament. You don't get that one sweet verse. You have to walk through like 90 verses to understand the whole story. So they were like, "Uh, what's your verse? I was like, oh, all of Numbers 13 and 14. And they were like, the the whole chapters? Yes, indeed. So uh, they are probably watching this clock closely to see if I can accomplish such a feat. But I believe God is able. Do y'all believe he's able? All right. Now, I know that uh, many of us are sitting here trying to figure out how in the world this applies to me. And so what I would like for you to get in your mind before we jump in is to ask yourself where God might be wanting you to take a risk. 
And it might not be some major life change or profession change. He might not be asking you to relocate. But you know in your own heart the things that the Holy Spirit's been nudging you toward that you've been hesitant to do. And so if you're ready to take a risk, I just need everybody to shout ready. Ready. All right, everybody is ready. I can't hear you one more time. If you're in the chat, just put ready. You should really be ready because you're probably in your pajamas and we're not judging. But it don't take much to just type ready. Just, just let us know that you're ready to take a risk. We're not mad. We're not mad that we got dressed and came out here. We love you and we are, uh, we are with you in your kitchen. So we, we're not judging. We're glad you're there. But just drop ready in the chat so we can see what God has for us. Now, I want to talk about uh, 10 signs. The, the first five will be warning signs. The second five will be danger signs of what, it hap- what happens when we're about to make a safe decision and the consequences that come after that. So Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to be. <clears throat> I'll start with the first two verses because you got to set the backdrop, okay? First two verses, Numbers chapter, 13, one, Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers, you shall shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Moses is getting instruction from the Lord, actually permission from the Lord. Send men to spy out this land of Canaan because I'm giving you this land and I want you to, you can assign one from every tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, you need to understand that already this is God's grace because in Deuteronomy, when Moses is retelling the story, he's telling us then that it was not God's idea for people to go and spy out the land. He said, listen, this is the promise that I made. I don't really need you to go investigate, but because your faith is weak, I will let you see it a little bit. And that's what's happening here. But here's the first warning. You will think that when God gives you information, he actually wants your input. You'll think that when God is giving you information, he wants your input. And that's not how it works. God in his grace might allow you to have a sneak peek into the promise he has for you, but he doesn't need your information or your input. He's just allowing you to see some things. See, Moses was sending the men out to, to discover what God had already decided, not for them to contribute to the decision. Look at verses 17 through 20. Numbers chapter 13 says, Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country. See what the land is, okay? Not see should we take the land. See what the land is, verse 18, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many. Verse 19, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strong. He's trying to get some details because the Lord has already said, I'm giving it to you. So I don't really need you to scout it out to determine if I need you just to look because you're curious and you can just, you can understand what I'm doing. Let me tell you something. My son, y'all, is, um, he's only seven, but he already is obsessed with food. Food, because at bedtime, uh, in the midst of prayers, as we're going before the throne of God, he will ask me what is for breakfast in the morning. And it, it just gives him his comfort as we plan what breakfast might be. And at breakfast in the morning, as he's eating his breakfast, he asked me what I've packed for his lunch that day. And as soon as he walks in the door from school, he asks what for, what's for dinner. He, he, his whole life is based on mealtime. So he loves food, y'all. Now, when I, usually when he asks what's for dinner, I try to explain to him very specifically food. That's what's for dinner. And then I ask him, have you ever not had dinner? I mean, we're going to have dinner, but he wants to know all the details. He wants to be in it. And I have to, I have to remind him that the Edwards household is not a restaurant, so it's not a menu. There's no substitutes. There's no waitstaff. It doesn't really matter because whatever is on your plate is what's for dinner. 
and it shall be eaten in entirety, okay, in the name of Jesus. But, but you know, he's, he's becoming more and more curious, and he might have a little bit of culinary interest. And so sometimes he'll come into the kitchen, and he'll want to see what I'm cooking. Now, this happens with my husband as well, but I don't want to throw Conway under the bus so early in the message. So I'll just use Joah. I'll just use Joah as the example. Because what happens is I'm in there cooking, and I know, I know how it's going to go, especially if the ingredients aren't all familiar to him. And so I'll open up the lid, or he'll look and see what I'm chopping up on the, on the cutting board, and he'll go, I don't like that. And I say, listen, I'm not, you're not about to bite into an onion like an apple, okay? I'm chopping up the onions because they're going to go into this dish I'm making. It's going to add flavor. Then he says, well, I don't like that either. You know, I don't like, I don't like that kind of sauce. And that's when I have to dismiss him from the kitchen. I said, this is why you can't see things because you're judging whether or not you're going to like it based on the ingredients. And I know the outcome. I don't need you to come in here and try to list, list the things you like and don't like because I know what I'm putting together. And God says the same thing to you. That's why when you're asking God questions that he sometimes doesn't answer, he's like, you don't need to be in the kitchen because you're going to start picking apart the way I'm putting it together, the ingredients that I'm putting in the dish. I know the outcome. It's going to be amazing. And all of us have had dishes that we are surprised by when we find out what's in it. Listen, when he gives you information, he's not asking for your input. It'll get you in trouble. It'll head you in the direction of a safe decision when God is calling us to make faith decisions. Here's the second warning. You'll allow people to make you doubt God's promise. You'll allow people to make you doubt God's promise. Here's how we know that that can happen. Look at verse 27. It says, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Yes, yes, what God said is true. Imagine that. In verse 28, it says, however, y'all say however. however. Woo, y'all. Listen, and if you're, some of your versions may say nevertheless. Some of them may just simply say but. But whenever you declare what God has said to be true and you tag it with a however, it's already not going to go well. It's not going to go well because there is no however. What they're about to say is, yes, God is true. His word is right. There was fruit in the land, but. See, now you're already setting yourself up to say, but despite what God said, we need to change course. We need to change direction. That's what contradictions do in these, in these words. However, he says, however, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, you don't know about Anak, but Anak was a people of giants. So they legitimately were huge men. That word means long-necked or tall. These were also the people that Goliath descended from. So they see these huge people before them. Verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. Mm. Now, here's, here's the problem. Verse 30, Caleb tries to give him some sense. He says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses said, listen, let us go up at once and occupy it. We are well able to overcome. Then the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Verse 32, so they bring a bad report to the people of Israel to the land. Here's the first problem. When, when people allow you to make uh, allow you or, or lead you into doubting God's promise, it's because you're focusing on the thing that you see and you're allowing that thing to be your God for the moment. Now, you might want to, you, you might not admit to yourself, I idolize this person or I worship this obstacle in front of me. But here's the thing, whatever you worship is what you obey. And so if I'm going to yield myself to the fear that's in front of me, then that means I'm choosing that thing over the word of God. 
So the people in front of them made them doubt God's promise. And, and what they saw was legitimate, church. I don't want you to think it was a, a deception of the enemy or a delusion. These men were legitimate giants. They were huge. But, but what they saw should not have made them question God's promise to them. And it's going to happen, I promise you. When God gives you direction, when God gives you guidance, when God is opening doors of faith, he's not doing that so that everybody that lines the aisles can applaud you. There's no soul train line. They're not waiting on you to come down and get to your part and bust your move. When he tells you to do something, you're going to have more naysayers than agreeers, okay? That, that's just how it works. Because if everybody wanted to live by faith, we'd be in a different world. We could all go to heaven. He's going to call you to do things that people are going to disagree with. Or he's going to call you to do things and people are going to be in the way. But he's going to say, that's irrelevant. Just because there's going to be some obstacles doesn't mean that my promise is at stake. There's going to be some barriers. There's going to be some battles to fight. But it should not make us question what God has said. Don't let people make you doubt God's promise. Don't, don't let the rejection of somebody make you say, well, maybe God's not asking me to do that. Because when God gives us a word, but then the people don't approve, then we start to question, well, maybe, maybe that's not what God is saying. Or he gives us something to do when we say, but God, somebody else is already doing it. But, but somebody else is doing it better. He said, why are these people even in the conversation when we're talking about my promise to you? You've got some promises that God has made to you and there have been some people, and sometimes, by the way, you are the people. Sometimes we are our own giant, and we look in the mirror and say, God, this cannot be. And he says, I didn't ask you. I just directed you. I need you to walk by faith. Here's the third warning. You will think that success is measured by your strength. Here's they say the people are too strong, but here's the key, for us. Now, God is like, I don't know what their strength compared to your strength has to do with anything because the promise is based on my strength. And so when God gives us direction or he gives us a word, we're so quick to whip out our resume. But God, am I able? Can I do this? Uh, God, am I qualified for this? He's like, put your resume up. I'm not giving you this based on how many Bible studies you attended or, or how you're dressing better or how you have your Bible app or how you're dwelling or how you're doing your one month to live. It doesn't matter because the truth be told, the resume don't tell the full story anyway. We know what it's like to walk into the job interview. The resume is only your highlights. It's not even the whole truth. We're sitting in jobs now because everybody didn't know the whole story. Y'all need, need to say amen. You know you are, because if they knew it, they would not have taken you. You type that whole thing up, you start backspacing, like, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. I mean, I, I only did files, but let me just put administrative oversight. Let me, let me make it sound like it was big and fancy. I mean, I only worked there uh, for six months, but let me, let me put something like 180 days or something. Like, let me make it sound... So we do that. And so God is like, listen, let me set you free. The success that I'm giving you is not going to be based on your strength. Just put that in the chat. Put up your resume. I need to set some people free. Because if you pull your resume out when God has given you a faith move to make, there will be more times where, you're think you, where you think you're underqualified and you will stay safe instead of moving forward. Listen, the enemy is going to always tell you, you're not worthy. You're not qualified. You're going to have those Moses moments where God is saying, like, I need you to go and set my people free. And God is like, Moses is like, what about me? And God is like, what about you? What about me? I don't really care. Who, I could send a chair to go and set my people free. It's not really about your resume. 
But you will take your strength and make that be a, de a deciding factor in what God has called for you. And y'all, it is dangerous to base that success on your strength. Just put up your resume. Be free. Here's the thing. Verse 33, Numbers 13, they say, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. Now, this statement is so heavy because it's, it's saying that these 10 spies saw, saw these big giants and it made their God small. Y'all, when you see things in this world, regardless of how large the obstacle is, it should not then make you change the size of your God. It shouldn't make you change the size of your God. It shouldn't even make you change the size of yourself. Here's the thing. They said these giants are so big we see ourselves as grasshoppers. Now, you know that you're living in fear when you let a problem, an obstacle, redefine who you are. Why couldn't they still be men looking at giants? Why do the giants have to make them grasshoppers? Because when I'm facing things that I'm afraid of, it makes me identify myself based on the fear. And God is saying, why is something in front of you redefining who you are? When I've said who you are, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. I've said who you are. Not only did they define themselves according to the fear in front of them, they presumed to know what the enemy thought as well. Because it says, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So now all of a sudden, my fear has got me thinking so irrationally. I'm so informed and driven by this fear that now I think I know what the enemy thinks of me. Have you walked into a place and you're like, ooh, they don't like me. Ooh, this is not going to go well. Look, ooh, why is she looking at me like that? What? Everything becomes some interpretation because you're afraid, because you're insecure, because you're anxious. Now, some of y'all don't have that issue. You walk into every situation knowing that you, are, you got it going on and your confidence is great. And it's, that's okay. We all have those moments, though where we are so afraid, we're so doubtful, we're so insecure that we not only redefine ourselves by that fear, we begin to project that fear onto the enemy. And here's how I know it was foolish. Because in Joshua chapter 2, when Joshua sent the two spies out to go to Jericho, which is this promised land, part of this promised land, and they go and talk to Rahab. You know what Rahab tells them? She said, our people are afraid. The fear of the Lord is in us because we heard about what he did at the Red Sea. These very same enemies that the spy said, oh God, they're so huge. They must see us as grasshoppers. We come to find out later after Moses has died and now Joshua gets to see the promised land that those same enemies were actually afraid because the Lord had already defeated the enemy in their hearts. The battle wasn't even something that they would have had to fight. They had to just go in and possess it. But they were so afraid they made the enemy bigger than God. Now, how is it that the enemy is afraid of God, fearful of the Lord, because they knew what he had done at the Red Sea? But the people who actually walked on the dry ground at the Red Sea are still afraid. Something is not right with that when the enemy has a greater testimony about your God. I don't understand how God can fulfill promise after promise after promise. God has done things you didn't even know to ask for. He's worked out details you didn't even know were necessary. And as soon as he works it out and he gives you the next faith move to make, you're wondering if he's able. See, the key is you put up your resume, but you pull his out. He says, I'm always able. People who don't even know me know that I'm able. How do you say you know me and you can't testify to my ability? Your success, when you measure it by your strength, this is what happens. You start to project that fear on yourself and on your enemy, and all along, God was making a way. Here's your fourth warning. Your focus on feeding the fear, 
You'll focus too much on feeding the fear. This is how you know you hit it toward a safe decision. You'll focus too much on feeding the fear because I think it's interesting that if you look at verse 27 and 29, verse 27 through 29, you'll see they made a quick note that says, yes, the land flows with milk and honey. I'm going to affirm God's promise. But then they spend all of their time detailing all the reasons why this cannot work. Because in 28 through 29, then they give us all the details of all the people. The people are strong. The cities are fortified. The, the descendants of Anak are there. Amalek's living in the land. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. They have all the reasons why God's plan won't work. Now, this is what you call like really like a subtle disagreement. When people, act, when people say things like, we're going to agree to disagree. That might work in your human relationships. That don't work with the Lord. He, he don't want you to agree to disagree. He needs you to agree fully because when people say they're agreeing with you, oh, yes, I agree, but, well, then you don't really agree. God doesn't need a yes, but. He needs a yes, period. And yes, I'm going to go. And so what happens is they, they convince themselves that, that the obstacles facing them are greater than the guarantee that God has already given them. Now, I wonder today what you're focusing on that's feeding your fear. Do you think it's, it's too late to start the thing? Do you think you're too old or too young or, or don't have enough education? Or are you wondering what people will say? Do you have control issues? And because God's not giving it to you, you're just going to refuse to go? What is it? There's something that's feeding your fear. And it's dangerous, y'all, because that fear not only affects you, it affects the people you influence. When those spies came back with that report, do you know an entire nation of people were waiting on the word of these spies? How they perceived this promise that God had given them was going to hinge on what these men said. So now these men come with all of their fear, which, by the way, the majority is not always right because 10 were wrong in this case. So don't go by popular vote, all right? Don't go by number of likes. That's not going to always serve you well. But these spies, because they're fearful, they get up before the people and they're like, we can't do it. We cannot do it. And so because of their fear, the entire nation became fearful. Do you know that your fear not only paralyzes you, it can actually be detrimental to the faith of people who are following you? That's what it means to be a disciple maker, to have people who you're influencing, people who are following you. Yes, they should follow Jesus directly. Yes, they need a relationship with him. But for many people, you'll be the first form of Jesus that they see. And if you're living in fear... That means you're affecting everybody who's watching your faith. So they get up and they tell the, the, the whole nation, like, this cannot work. And so then the nation goes crazy. They're like, you're right. This can't work. And you're right. We believe you. Because the fearful thing, the safe thing is always easy. You, you need somebody that's going to make you want to take the risk. And here is what happens when they decide to buy into the fear. Warning number five. Jesus. Y'all just say Jesus. I just want y'all to know these things I'm saying are in the Bible. I'm not making this up. So listen, number five, you will think that slavery is actually safety. (sighs) That fear will make you think that slavery is actually safety. And here's how I know, because in chapter 14, now we're skipping on to chapter 14. See, we're moving through. The end of verse three and all of verse four says, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We can be so convinced of failure that we would choose bondage over walking in belief. That we start to make the thing that God set us free from look better than the thing that he's challenging us to right now. 
They said, I would rather go back to slavery where my, my life was at risk and I wasn't valued and, and I wasn't, and I wasn't, my, I was always fearful of what was going to happen next and I didn't have any freedom and I was in bondage. I would rather go back to that than walk in a risk. You're telling me I'd rather undo the Red Sea. I'd rather undo all the plagues. Let me just go and sit under the slavery of Pharaoh because this looks too fearful. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to pick up that phone and call that joker right back because living single looks hard. He wants you to stay in that place because the paycheck is good, but purpose might not pay the way you want it to. And he'd rather you stay in the slavery of that paycheck job than walk in faith. Listen, y'all, let me tell you something. Freedom doesn't always feel good. When God sets us free, we know we need it, but it doesn't always feel good right away. When, when you're getting out of some bondage, there's an adjustment period. Because you know what? You had to learn how to be a slave, so you have to learn how to be free. It's not something that happens overnight. When you're giving up addictive behavior, when you're giving up poor patterns of thinking, the next day you're not like, oh, I'm great. It's a party. Let the confetti drop. No, no, no. You're constantly having to work against that old mentality, that old thinking. And it is hard. And y'all are going to know because when this Daniel Fest starts today, if y'all living right, you're going to know it's hard. Because that sugar slavery, whoo, you wake up dreaming about shit. I think. Is sweet tea in my house? I don't even really drink sweet tea, like, but I feel like I need a sweet tea. Can I tell you, your flesh will start to conjure up things oh, yeah. just because you know you can't have it. And, and here's what's interesting. I won't be the police because I see Pastor Matt trying to throw out some early shade and some judgment. I'm not going to be the Daniel Fast police. I'm going to say, do, do what, you, what you think is right between you and the Lord. But here's the thing. If you really understand the purpose of the fast and you follow it the way you're supposed to follow it, you will end up more energized. Obviously, you're probably going to lose some weight. Your blood pressure is going to be down. Your heart is going to be healthier. Your body's going to be better. You're going to have more energy. Your life will be different if you do it the way you're supposed to do it. But it's not going to feel good on day one. It's not going to feel good on day one. Some of y'all going to have horrible attitudes because you're not supposed to be having caffeine. And it's just not going to be pleasant. And people going to want to know why you hate for all day. It's because you can't have coffee. Because we got addictions that we're trying to break that we know are not good for us. But that doesn't mean that freedom feels good right away. And if you let yourself think that freedom must feel good, as soon as you face those challenges, you're going to want to run back to slavery. So the people want to run back to the slavery, y'all, because the freedom was hard. But you have to work on that. You have to work to learn how to be free. Number six. Now we get into the danger signs. Here's the danger of making those safe decisions. You will be denied the promise that you doubt. You'll be denied the promise that you doubt. By the way, these notes are on a nice little neat sheet in your apps and your, in your app, and you'll have all the blanks filled in if you're not, not keeping up, <clears throat> if you're in your kitchen drinking your illegal tea. There's no judgment, but... You can watch those later. That's for Pastor Matt because he likes when I, he likes when I'm shady right to Daniel Fest. <laughs> Number six. There's no judgment. Drink your tea. Uh, <laughs> it's an amen for the tea. Out of all this, that's your amen for the tea. Okay. All right. All right. You see? See what I'm talking about? Slavery. Number six. <clears throat> Number six. You will be denied the promise that you doubt. Look at chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. Uh, he says, none of these men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness, but have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to their fathers. None of those who despised me shall see it. Listen, I, it's so interesting that God uses this word despising. 
uh, the, you'll not only be denied the promise that you doubt, but, but God equates that disagreement with despising. In verse 14, in verse 11 of chapter 14 and verse 23, he uses the word despising. God, God sees your however as hatred. He said, we, we can't come to any kind of middle ground. The thing about God and his thoughts being higher than your thoughts and his ways being higher than your ways, there's not room for negotiation. He's saying, you have to be committed to me and my word. You have to trust that I know what's better for you than you know what, what you think you know. He says, listen, and you won't see the promise if you doubt it. He's saying, I- I'm going to just lay it out here. The men who did not trust me will not see the promise. Y'all, and that is bad news. That's bad news to know that God had a promise waiting for us. And, and we, couldn't, we couldn't lay hold of it just because we didn't have enough faith. And can I just say, by the way, where they were was about 10 or 11 days out from the promised land. It was about a 10 or 11 day journey. They were like right at the edge. They were so close. But God in his grace let them go spy it out. They were there for 40 days. And they come back with a bad report. Y'all, to be that close and know that you're going to choose doubt over what God is saying. And sometimes the promise is not always this huge, I'm going to give you this land of milk and honey. Sometimes it's calling. Sometimes he's shifting your purpose. Sometimes he's just telling you how to address conflict. Sometimes he's saying, listen, I will restore this relationship. I will give you peace if you say the thing that needs to be said. And you say, uh, that's not going to go well. I don't feel like dealing with that person. So you know what? Let me just play it safe. He said, okay. Well, then don't wonder why the relationship doesn't change. And don't wonder why this person doesn't treat you differently or why, why the dynamic stays the same because you're choosing to play it safe. You're not going to see the promise that I gave you. You'll be denied the promise that you doubt, which takes us to number seven. Your lack of faith will create delay for future generations. Your lack of faith will create delay for future generations. Y'all say future. Listen now, in Collin County and in in this day and age, not even just Collin County, in this day and age, most parents are obsessed with their kids. We're doing all the things to to get them the right education and the right experiences and all of these things so they can have a great future. But God is saying it does not matter how many degrees you make sure your child has. It doesn't matter what you got set aside for savings. Your future, the way their future will be changed will be by your faith. And if you're not faithful, if you're faithless, it's going to affect future generations. Look what he says in 1433. He says, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness. And here's what God says, y'all. Straight no chaser for some of y'all who hadn't always been saved. He says, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. He's not playing games. He says, your children will be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness into the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. Now, these are not unbelieving parents. These are Christian parents because they're in the children. They're the children of Israel. And this is the punishment God gives. He said, you so worried about legacy? The way you live your life will be your legacy for your children. Can you imagine that your children with all the setup and the education and you gave them the sports and they got the scholarship and all the things were worked out and the tutor, they learned a second language. They know all the things that their life could still be stagnated because you chose to walk in safety. God is saying, I actually have promises for your children that will be put on hold until you die when you don't live by faith. Now, I know that we, we love Jesus and we love grace and we love the covenant of the cross and God forgives. And listen, Jesus has fixed it all. He saved us from the eternal 
consequence of sin. He has not saved us from the earthly consequence of sin. And when you walk in faithlessness, the future will be impacted. There are children who could have started their future 40 years before they did because their parents didn't have any faith. There's nothing you can lay out for your children that's going to be greater than a life of faith. Some of you have lived delayed promises because your parents didn't have any faith. Some of our parents didn't know how to handle money. And so guess what? We didn't start with a savings account like everybody else. We started in the negative. We had to get our credit right, build ourselves up, and now we're finally starting to get our lives together. Some of our parents didn't know how to handle sexuality and our bodies. And so the experiences that we had as children, they damaged us. And so now we had to spend half our adult life getting whole, and we're behind the ball. God is still good, but don't think there's no consequence for lack of faith. So you can save yourself all of the work and the savings. Do those things for your children, but live by faith. Because I can tell you that if it wasn't for my grandmother and my mother, I don't know. Listen, I mean, God is good now. He's good. He'll, he'll catch you up wherever you need to be. But can you imagine that you could control the future of your children, your children's children, just by choosing the risk that God is calling you to take. A faith legacy is going to outlast any financial legacy you'll ever build for your children. They can have money and still be in the wilderness. And God says they can, they can be broke and be in the promised land, but I'm telling you, my prosperity is better than what's in your bank account. He says your lack of faith will affect your future generations. Here's number eight. God says, you can choose to doubt, you can choose your doubt, but I will choose your discipline. Now, I don't know how y'all used to be as kids. When I got in trouble, then I would try to negotiate with my parents. And if you, I thought that if I beat them to the punishment, then they would change what they were going to say. And so I said, you know what? I think what I should do is probably uh, stay home this weekend and not go out. And that's because I knew I didn't have no plans anyway, right? That's what, that's what kids do. So my kids do the same thing. They get in trouble, and my son goes, I think, yeah, that wasn't a good choice. I think that I should go to bed early. I was like, that's because you're tired. That ain't no punishment. So you're trying to play me. That's what happens. I'm like, no, no, no. When you act up, I will choose the punishment because I know what I need that's going to impact you the most. And God says the same thing. He says, listen, if you act up, I'm going to decide. Don't, don't come talking about forgiveness and grace. Yes, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. God's got you. You're not going to hell. That does not mean that you get to do whatever you want to do and there's no consequence. See, I think sometimes we think that the cross of Christ has eliminated the wrath of God. It has not. It has protected us from the consequence eternally of that. But God is still God. And we need these stories to remind ourselves of how much God hates sin, how much God hates faithlessness, because we'll deceive ourselves just because the earth is not splitting open and God is not sending plagues. Well, I don't know about COVID. God is not sending things the way he used to. And the earth is not opening up that we're good. He's like, no, no, no. Just because Jesus covers you, just because I see you through my son, doesn't mean that I'm okay with your sin. In verse 34, number chapter 14, it says, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear iniquity for 40 years. This wasn't random. He's like, oh, okay. Y'all 10 days away from the place you need to be, you needed to go and look around for 40 days to question my promise. You'll get 40 years for that. Now, there's some things that, that we're probably wrestling with right now, and God is like, you can say, listen, this is a consequence. And praise be to God that in his goodness, he allows us to, to still survive and still thrive, but there's going to be consequences. There's not a free pass 
when we, cho- when we refuse to walk in faith. Here's the same in the same verse. He says at the end of that, and you shall know my displeasure. Danger number nine, your safe or selfish decision invites God's displeasure. Y'all, and this really should be the thing that hits us more than not having the promise and not having the blessings and not having all the things. It should be displeasing God because what we were created for is his glory. I should be most brokenhearted when I know God is displeased. I remember getting to that point later on in my life, probably around high school, where I, I got in trouble and did something I should not have done. But for the record, I'd like to say my sister got in more trouble than I did. But I did get in trouble on occasion, you know. And when I did, I remember, I remember being, uh, as I got older, that first moment where I knew I was going to have to explain to my father what I did. And I was not fearful of the discipline. I was fearful that I would have disappointed him. Because something shifted. As I got older, it didn't matter what he held back and, and, and the punishment that he may have decided to give me. My heart was broken when he gave me that look and says, you know, I'm disappointed. Because you know better. That's what broke my heart. And then I was like, oh my God. And he knew that that would get me. And so I, I was like, just give me the punishment. I, I'd rather take my, take my punishment because I can take that and shake it off and move on. But that disappointment, knowing that I had not met a standard that he thought I could meet, that's what broke my heart. And that's what should break our heart when it comes to the Lord. We shouldn't be the most sad over not getting the promise or, or not getting the blessing or not seeing the abundance. We should be the most brokenhearted over displeasing God. And I know it is not the case for many of us because the conviction only comes when we're caught. See, if I'm concerned about displeasing God, I'm convicted at the point of sin, not at the point of exposure. Conviction doesn't come just when you get caught. That means you're more concerned about the consequences than you are about pleasing God. See, if you can do it in secret and not feel bad about it, then you love yourself more than you love the Lord. It ought to tear you up when nobody else knows. It it ought to take your rest even before you're exposed. Because between you and the Lord, you're like, God, how could I? How could I? Your safe or selfish decision invites God's displeasure, church. And we don't want conditional conviction. We want to be a church of people that are broken by the things that break God's heart, even if he chooses to protect us and keep it a secret. It should break your heart. Here's number 10. You'll miss out on the promise and be without God's protection. Now, y'all, this is rough. Verse 14, chapter 14, 44 through 45, my last, our last point. <clears throat> You'll miss out on the promise and be without God's protection. Verse 39. Now, here's what's interesting because the people of Israel have a change of heart, and don't we all do this? We're not judging. Verse 39. When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel that they weren't going to see what they thought they were going to see, the people mourned greatly because they were sad because they got caught. Verse 40. They rose early in the morning and went to the heights of the hill country, excuse me, excuse me, they went to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are, we will go up to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. Verse 41, but Moses said, wait a minute, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord? When that will not succeed, y'all say not succeed, it's not gonna work. Verse 42, he says, do not go up for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies. Verse 43, for there the Amalekites, the Canaanites, remember all them people you listed? Then your however, they waiting on you. 
and they are facing you, you shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. In verse 44, but they presumed, y'all say presumed, uh, get us in trouble, to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. And that's huge because the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Moses, a leader of God, a proxy of the presence of God, is saying, hey, neither of these things went with them. They went on their own. That's for all y'all trailblazers that think you can do stuff without God. Or for your friend. I know it's not you. In verse 44, but they presumed to go up. The Ark of the Covenant, nor Moses went out with them. Verse 45, and then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them (laughs) even to Hormah. Not only defeated them, ran them out. They got run out of the land that should have been theirs because they did not act on God's promise. Y'all, this is not like baggage claim. Whenever you decide to believe God, you can just go claim the promise. You need to understand that divine doors will close. God does not owe you an open-ended promise. Many things that God calls you to will be time-sensitive. He needs you to act now. And because you get in your feelings or because you become afraid or it doesn't make sense to you and you wait, will you decide to have that bolster of faith? That does not mean that God owes you the promise that he already delivered for you had you believed. Listen, we know what it's like to have divine doors closed. We know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit tell us what to say, what to do, what to start. And we don't act. And then find that promise passing us by. Now, God is so good. He has more promises and more opportunities waiting for us. But that doesn't mean you get to lay claim to the one you didn't believe. And if you do that, you'll find yourself apart from the protection of God. Some of you are fighting battles for closed promises. You need to let it go and move on. You're going to be defeated because God said, for this one, you needed to believe the first time. Now, I'll have something else for you. You don't know what life might have been like had you believed the first time. Don't worry about it, but quit trying to claim closed promises. You're wasting your time. You're inviting him to move things and change obstacles and, and change outcomes. And he's saying, you need to move on and let that be a lesson and not making safe decisions. You're going to find yourself in danger, in harm's way, because God doesn't have to protect you when you don't believe his promise. He's not obligated. He might out of grace, but he's not obligated. Listen, here's the thing. You might be fighting losing battles because you're trying to press your way through closed doors. And that may sound, that may sound big and strong and awesome to, to press your way through a closed door, but it's not possible. If God does not open that door, you will not succeed. If you, if you try to twist that thing for your own agenda, here, here's what it is. When God tells me I need to go and do or say or speak or, or start or, or dream or whatever it is, and I say no, in that moment I've made myself God. So if I come back around after I've seen the consequence of that thing and say, oh, okay, God, now I'm ready. He said, no, 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 no. I decide. Because then if I go try to claim that thing that he told me to do when I did not believe, and I don't know that God is again creating providence, I am saying, God, I can do it without you, but I'll stick your name on it so I feel good about it. He's saying, you can't do it without me, y'all. Listen, we, we have to understand that there are consequences. I'm saying all this because I know every single day we are placed in positions and situations where we need to take risk for God. 
I'm not talking about just being bold so everybody can follow you, so your dream can blow up, so you can get your hustle, and because you have a great personality. I'm not talking about all that. We're in such a dangerous place in our society because we're so dependent on digital experiences and social media. Only the charismatic energy gets all the following. So just because people have energy and boldness and put good words together, they get followers, and that is not the type of risk I'm talking about. You might be introverted and quiet and be one of the boldest people that we've ever come across. This is about a life of faith. And the thing about it is it won't be postable. Nobody's going to be able to measure your faith moves. They're going to be decisions of the heart, decisions of immediate obedience that many of us will not be able to know until we have left this earth and there's a legacy behind us. But we have to be okay with that. Do you know that there is territory that God is calling us to occupy? There's promised land. Historians say that David and Solomon, even at the height of their kingdoms, occupied less than 25% of the promised land. That even David and Solomon, at the height of their power, occupied less, some say less than 10% of the promised land, most of which is still unoccupied today. Can you imagine what this world would be if we would occupy what God has already promised? The headlines might be different. What we see when we scroll through social media might be different if we weren't just watching and judging, but we were occupying and walking in faith. And we do it because God is faithful. It doesn't matter what's changing around us. That's why in Exodus chapter 3, when this promise first was communicated, God told Moses, he said, listen, don't worry about what they're going to say and what Pharaoh might say. When you want to know who, who sent you, I am who I am. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, people will come and go, but I remain. I was watching one of my new shows on Netflix, y'all, my new addiction. And praise God that Daniel don't have Netflix restrictions because Solomon Assembly was rough. But I'm watching my Netflix show, y'all, and I'm watching The Crown. And The Crown has a million. If you can't preach, the, you don't have to be a preacher to preach The Crown. Okay, The Crown got many, many, many points about leadership and all of these things. And there's one particular conversation Queen Elizabeth was having with her sister. She had just found out that her current prime minister was going to have to step down. He had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so she was wrestling with what it means to have to lose another leader of government. She knew there was going to have to be another election and all these changes. And her sister asked her in the moment. At the time, Elizabeth had been queen maybe 15-ish years. So her sister asked her, maybe 20 years. She asked her, she said, so how many is this? And so Elizabeth says, how many what? She said, how many prime ministers is this? She said, well, the next one that comes will be my seventh. And so her sister says, it's interesting because prime ministers drop like flies. They come and go, but the crown remains. And can I tell you something about your God? Presidents will come and go, but the king of kings remains. Governments will change, but God is unchanged. What's trending will change, but God remains the same. What was success in the 90s will be different from what it is today, but God remains the same. The standard of living may change. God remains the same. The conflict around you may change, but God remains the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you need to know that because it is that God that we take risk in the name of. It is that God, that same God that keeps us from making safe decisions, allows us to walk in faith and take risk, not just for ourselves, because the world needs to see what it means for people of God to be risk takers. So if that's where you are today, I want to pray for you before we dismiss. If you need it, you can just drop yes in the chat or you can just slip your hand up. I believe probably everybody in the room 
has something that God is probably stretching them toward that maybe you're hesitant to say yes to and you know, you know that God is pushing you. You know that you have an opportunity. I want to just pray for you. You just slip your hand up. You know you need to take risks. You know you need to do something great for God. You're tired of mediocrity. You're tired of routine. It don't matter how much you have saved. It don't matter that you still have a job. Those things are great. But what if God is calling you to something greater? God, I thank you for every person in the room, for every hand raised. I praise you for every person on the chat right now who says, yes, it's me. I know I need to take a risk. I'm ready. We're ready, God. Because, because a safe life is not what you've called us to. God, would you help us to see the danger of that? And what we think is safe is sometimes even slavery. God, that, we, that we're living this life without your covering, without your protection, when we're trying to do it on our own. Will you help us to gain new perspective on, on the obstacles in front of us, in front of us, that the people that we see, the things that we encounter, they don't determine our success. God, you do. You have for us prosperity and plans and authority. You want us to be your voice on this earth, God. So I pray right now for every hesitation, for everything that makes us insecure, doubtful, what we're not good enough, we don't know enough, are we ready? Is the time now? Would you just drop a yes? in every spirit right now. Would you remind us, God, that you decide when we're ready and that we need to be willing to go. May we be a church that is bold, faithful, and risk takers in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Come on, y'all, let's give God praise.